In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the everyone and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me all the way from across the pond, the rock star paranormal, paranormal psychologist, I can't speak this day, Cal Cooper. Hi Ron, how are you doing? It sounds like you've been drinking. I know, I wish, I only wish. How are you doing? Did you have a good holidays there, good Boxing Day and all that other crap? Yeah, yeah, it was um, pretty good. It was extremely busy. Everyone forgets that there's 12 days of Christmas, but it seems most of the 11 days are all spent up with shopping. So there's only one day, and that's Christmas Day, in which we get to relax. So that's kind of what happened over here, just chilled out on Christmas Day, and then the rest of the time we've been working and shopping for Christmas presents. But it was all good. How about you? All right, you uh, no mushy peas for uh, Christmas. You have the the blood pudding there or something, right? Oh yeah, we have bread pudding. Uh, oh um, no, bread sauce. Sorry, what was I on about? We have bread and butter pudding, and we had uh, bread sauce. But you don't normally have bread and butter pudding for Christmas. No mushy oh. peas then. No mushy peas. <laughs> thank God for that. Anyway, and I understand, Mr. Cooper, you have a new book coming out. Hmm. I've spent um, most of the past month actually proofreading it, and that's all I've been doing today and will be doing till the end of the month when it comes out to print. But that'll be telephone calls from the dead. If anyone visits my website at calcooper.com or goes to either amazon.co.uk or .com, save it to your wish list because it'll be available to order at the end of the month. Should be. Excellent. Fingers crossed. <laughs> But anyways, we have a uh, – well, I do want to mention one thing. I, I do have uh, kind of an exciting thing that I'm doing uh, uh, starting in February, and actually it's for two semesters. I'll be teaching a course at the local college in uh, paranormal CSI, so I'm kind of excited about that. And it's going to be a little bit different than anything that's out there, so I'm kind of excited. That's cool. And, and, are you going to try, try some more parapsychology-type studies in it? Well, let's not say that. <laughs> uh, it's it's in a haunted location as well, so it, it's it's going to be fun. Let's put it this way: it's it's going to be totally different than anything that is out there. And speaking of parapsychologists, we have America's outstanding parapsychologist on the line with her now with us now. He's been doing it longer than I've been living. Uh, that's not true, uh, Mr. Lloyd Arbrack. You there? Hi, how, how are, are you, you, sir? 
Good, good, thanks. How's everybody? Good, good. I, I was expecting you uh, here at the studio because I got this huge, humongous box of chocolate, and it looks like I'm going to have to eat it myself. <laughs> yeah, probably not my chocolate. Uh, don't know. <laughs> you, I, 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 make, I, do, I make chocolate. If it doesn't have ghosts on it, it's not my chocolate. So, so your chocolate actually has uh, ghosts on it? Yeah, I'm, most of the chocolate that I make, the solid chocolates that I make, actually have little ghosts on them. They're... Uh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that is so cool. Do you sell that, or is that just for your own edification? Uh, no, I, I sell it. I actually, um, I have a couple of websites. You know, one of my paranormal website is mindreader.com, but my chocolate website is hauntedbychocolate.com. Oh, I love it. And, and and as you know, if 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 there are any psychics, that chocolate is very important in what they do. Well, chocolate actually seems to um, enhance certain psychic abilities, for some psychics at least, uh, at least the ones that like chocolate. Right, and grounds them as well. Right, and, right. And, right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I know Cal is a big chocolate fan, aren't you, Cal? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I got bought some chocolates for Halloween this year that were from Hotel Chocolate that we get over here. And oh, they always good. have little ghosts and gravestones and mm -hmm. uh, skulls and stuff. I think they're fantastic. And, and that's, a good, that's a good a company to buy A chocolate, chocolate ghost is better than a normal chocolate. Right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just, I actually have to get this website to uh, up again. And what was it again uh, for the chocolate one? Hauntedbychocolate.com. Hauntedbychocolate. Right. Yeah, and I have, a, I have a book coming out sometime in the next few months. I'm actually self-publishing a book, uh, just finishing up myself. It'll be up actually on Kindle and Nook first, but called Haunted by Chocolate, How to Go from haunt, from Chocoholic to Chocolate Gourmet. Oh, that is so cool. That is one of my weaknesses as well. So anyways, Lloyd, you have been a parapsychologist like forever, right? Well, officially for 30 years at this point. That's, yeah. that's forever. Especially, especially in this field, in, yeah. in reality. Uh, so how most, did that all, all start? Where did you um, kind of get your interest from, and how did you go in to study that? Well, my interest actually came um, as a little kid. I, I was very interested in psychic abilities uh, and ghosts and such, mostly because of comic books and television shows. Uh, I, I, you know, I had an introduction to ghosts on TV with sitcoms and uh, situation comedies and other and movies, uh, probably when I was three or four years old, and. Most TV shows and movies tend to show this stuff in positive light, contrary to what uh, people tend to point at with the horror films. So I really had an interest in the comic book stuff really helped. Star Trek helped a lot in Dark Shadows, the TV show Dark Shadows, um, really kind of pointed me to, really got me reading books on the field. And having been a little science geek as a kid, I was really interested in astronomy and geology and other science, physical sciences. Um, I was lucky to find books by Dr. Ryan and a few other folks in the field that really made me realize that there was, in fact, a science here. Um, in my teenage years, I, I started a parapsychology club at my high school in, outside of New York City and was very lucky because one of my neighbors knew um, Montague Allman, who was one of the leading researchers in parapsychology and dream telepathy at the time. Uh, and he didn't live very far away, and uh, Gertrude Schmeidler was there as well. So I got to, and as a teen, I got to actually meet a number of prominent parapsychologists and talk with them. So that really kind of pushed me into the field. Fantastic. And it's interesting because uh, be, there's so many, uh, you know, with the TV shows and everything, there is so much interest in the paranormal now. Uh, when I broke in, there were like 24 
ghost groups in the country now. There's like 24 in any block. Uh, so it's phenomenal. So when we have someone like you who, who've been around the block for a while, let's put it that way, and I don't mean anything about your age because, yeah. you know, you probably started it. Two or something. I don't know. Uh, started at negative ten. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> so I mean, I mean, it's it's really you have seen it all. You have seen the, the field change so much in your thirty years of doing it. Is it changing to the good or uh, the bad? Well, you know, in some respects, there's almost two fields at this point. Um, so, and and I want I just want to point out that back in the 1970s, publishing had its own paranormal um, explosion. It was called the occult explosion, and there were there, you couldn't go anywhere, like to any airport or bookstand or anywhere, would not find books on on the paranormal anywhere. I mean, it just was amazing how much was there. Uh, and then it kind of died off for a while, and then cable TV came in, and I think that because of cable TV and the need to fill time, uh, this has happened to be one of the topics that really spread like wildfire, and that caused the um, the explosion of amateur and hobbyist ghost hunters, um, too many of whom unfortunately believe that they can just simply learn how to do it by watching a TV show. So um, the, the positive side is that people are talking about the subject and people are expressing their interest in the subject. The negative is that these that most people tend to get their education, if you want to call it that, from watching TV shows and from people who are on those TV shows who don't necessarily know what they're talking about. Um, and that creates serious issues um, for the field of parapsychology when people start pointing at our field as being the same as some of the people that are running around. There's some great people out there who are amateurs and, and hobbyists who have taken time to learn, and there's a lot of people, and probably majority, who should really just call themselves hobbyists or kind of explorers and, and, uh, and leave it at that. No, that's absolutely right. I can account even over here in the U.K., there's at least two to three thousand um, amateur paranormal investigation teams and a lot of those have been formed simply because of watching paranormal groups on the television and when you actually look at the methods they're using they're exactly the same as what you see on the tv where there's kind of no structure to what they're doing and it's right. all involving running about with night vision cameras and carrying equipment that no one really knows what it's for it's just because the people on the television have got it um so it, it's it's really kind of annoying when people kind of compare that to parapsychology and assume that what those people are doing is kind of what parapsychology is doing in a sense when in reality they actually poles apart. Right. That's exactly right. You know, and, and the problem with T V stuff is that that in that half hour or one hour television show, um, even if the people who were who were doing the show, the ghost hunters in the show, knew everything that they needed to know about the field, about about actual parapsychological work the editing's being done and the composition of the show is being done by producers who don't. We don't care. And consequently, you have people modeling um, activity on a TV show that, that can't be based on the full spectrum of what we would do because nobody's taking the time to really present it that way. Absolutely. It, 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 it kind of... You know, when I started, the, I have a degree in environmental science, okay, so I'm not a parapsychologist. But whenever um, I've dealt with the press, they've always called me a scientist because of that degree. I never mm -hmm. considered sure. myself a, a, a scientist as far as in the field. Is there a separation, what I'm trying to, to get at, is there a separation between parapsychology and ghosts in itself? I mean, parapsychology is a little bit... Uh, is it, it's not really defined for ghosts. It's really looking well, at things in a different way, right? 
Well, survival of bodily death is one of the key elements of the original folks in the field in psychical research, and still a, a, a branch of what we study. It's just a lot harder to study survival in a laboratory setting. Right. Uh, so this is field investigation and research, and you know, um, and it's really important to know also that while parapsychology often uses the methods of physical science, parapsychology is mainly a social science, like psychology and anthropology and sociology and such. So um, there is a difference between social and physical sciences, <laughs> and um, so you have to kind of also keep that in mind. But ghosts, you know, the phenomena of ghosts, experiences of ghosts, certainly are not being studied by psychologists, even though they're experiential and percept perceptual. Um, parapsychologists study those to some extent, and, and it's partly because it connects to all the other stuff that we deal with, extrasensory perception, psychokinesis, partly because it's part of um, consciousness. I mean, we're talking about consciousness surviving the death of the body, and that's an important concept, and it's more and more what parapsychology is involving phenomena of consciousness, which is you know, what we're really dealing with here. And, Kel, you agree with that, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, uh, recently with all the stuff that I've been writing, I've had to consider all these numerous possibilities um, for survival of death from my viewpoint as a psychologist and actually looking at parapsychological theory. So I've had to kind of, uh, for the readers of what I'm going to be publishing, I've had to work my way through the absolute rational and logical explanations that psychology has found and produced to then work my way into parapsychological theories and then theories that are just purely paranormal and out there when we can't actually apply anything to them. Mm -hmm. So this has looked at the theory that ghosts could be created by hallucinations or they could be telepathic projections or that they could genuinely be evidence of survival of bodily death. So, you know, there are numerous different avenues that this could actually take us down. So absolutely, I'd agree with what Lloyd's saying there. The other thing is that a lot of groups now say they use scientific methods. They're not. And, 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 well, yeah, and they base that on the fact that they use instruments. Right. Uh, right. And I have to, every time I have somebody tell me that they're a scientific group, the first thing I ask them is if they have a demonologist on the staff. Because <laughs> if they do, they're not. That's number one. Uh, and, and the second thing is uh, I ask them to explain to me how they're using those tools scientifically because technically, you know, that means that if you cook your meal in a microwave oven, you are being a food scientist. True. Never thought of it that way, but, yeah, I guess I am. You know, you have to know how your devices work. You have right, to know how exactly. to. And science is about the data, and science is about analyzing the data and, and putting hypotheses out there and testing those hypotheses. But you know, getting readings without any sort of assessment um, is is far about as far from science as anything. And you know, you can you can get a chimp to get excited by the needle on a magnetometer moving back and forth, and that doesn't mean the chimp's being scientific. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting, but I, I think. I, I don't know. It's just I, I watched you did a nice clip on uh, the View. Uh, you were on the View with the with uh, some interesting people, and I'll, I'll actually want to bring that up a little bit later. But uh, one of the things you mentioned was about spirits being the possibility of them being trapped here because of particular reasons. And I mean, is it? It was an interesting thought. I mean, for instance, so if there was this uh, magnetic, uh, let's say, a gravity well or something that, that held spirits from going wherever they go, uh, that could explain some of the, the hauntings. Does that, does that make sense? Is that what you were trying to get at? Well, actually, I was really getting at a couple of different things, one of which is that, you know, when people, there are all sorts of 
psychic proclamations about why people are, you know, spirits or, or ghosts are still here. Right. One of which is that they have unfinished business or that they don't know that they're dead. And I hear psychics all the time saying, or people, or people just saying, well, all ghosts are people who are dead who don't know that they're dead. And that's not the case based on the witness testimony mm-hmm. or even communication that some psychics and mediums have. So there's not a single, um, psych- I guess you could say, motivation for them to be here necessarily. There seem to be multiple motivations based on the witness and psychic testimony. As far as the other stuff, you know, as, you know I don't believe, because it doesn't seem to be by the numbers that everybody sticks around as a ghost. Um, right. And why there might be some few apparitions here, number one would be, have, seems to be part of the motivation on the part of that individual who's deceased, but there are probably some environmental element involved or some other or some other element perhaps spiritual that we can't even address um it seems that since we have some connection some inkling of connection with the earth's magnetic field and people's psychic experiences maybe that plays into it but when it plays into it or if it actually does that's compure, purely speculation on my part it could be some other physical thing uh, i would say probably not a gravity well because <laughs> uh, i think that would affect a lot more than just simply a ghost and mm-hmm. uh you know, I see some. There's some author out there who talks about wormholes and other things. When wormholes right. haven't even been proven at this point, I, I think that we can speculate all we want, and at that point, it's just science fiction. Well, isn't isn't that the majority of the field, science fiction and reality? Because we we don't even know, we can't even understand the, the rules of physics on the other side or wherever, right? Or as we dwell. Well, I mean, you, you know, the you can say that it's science fiction in the sense that we're speculating. Right. Um, we're speculating on a variety of things, but science does that in general. I mean, you have to have that in physics, you have to have that in, in biology, you have to have that everywhere. Um, very often a hypothesis or, or even an idea about cosmology, for example, starts out with a speculation or a question. The question being, you know, that we're going to examine is um, how fast is everything uh, moving away from each other, from itself? You know, how, how fast are the galaxies moving apart, or are they really moving apart very quickly? And then they, you come to find out that they're not really and it's not really happening like you think. It's actually things are accelerating instead of decelerating, which was the original supposition in physics. And then they speculate on what could be doing that, and they come up with something like dark energy or dark matter. And then they have to do some math to kind of... So there's a process of speculation that you have to play in here. And, and theories change, and hypotheses lead to other hypotheses, and we have to kind of keep an open mind. And that's the thing about this field, about parapsychology, is we have models right now, but they may change. And, and hopefully will as we know things. Agree, Cal? No, I think a lot of the stuff that we come across just leads to more and more questions, but mm-hmm. that, that can always be a good thing because we can set them aside for everything else that the um, harder sciences bring along and start to discover them. We can pass them over to the social sciences and understand the human interaction with the physical world and how it works. Um, there's probably a lot of the paranormal that we do understand in terms of the discoveries of science today, but it doesn't necessarily mean that society is going to accept them. I was reading some brilliant stuff by um, Lyle Watson recently in a book called The Nature of Things, The Secret Life of Inanimate Objects, and he was talking about how virtually everything in life contains electrons, so everything in a way is connected by electricity, and if there was a universal power cut, nothing would exist anymore. And he was um, talking about some cases 
cases of electrical appliances going wrong that could be interpreted as poltergeist activity. Right. And there was people that were having, uh, that they were coming into contact with their vacuum cleaners or uh, microwaves, and they probably destroyed about 30 microwaves and 10 vacuum cleaners and changed the channel every time they walked past the telly just by being around these objects. And it turned out these people contained an abnormal high amount of static electricity within their bodies. Hmm. And so there was a... a, a there was a paranormal kind of normal explanation for what was going on. But the way we interpret those um, events comes out as paranormal. But when we delved into physics and also what was going on with the human body as well, there was a strange explanation for it, but it was explainable. And in other cases, people were having inanimate objects about the house talking to them. The, their cooker was talking to them or speaking to them in Dutch. Or one guy was getting um, psychic messages every time he boiled the kettle. And this also turned out to be due to high electromagnetic frequencies in the areas that they lived in. It was sending radio waves into electronic devices in their home, and that was producing speech. So they thought these items were coming to life, but they weren't. There was a rational explanation for it, which was also a bit paranormal at the same time. It's very hard for people to actually take these explanations on board and accept them, and things are changing all the time. So, um, you know, other explanations will come up for other paranormal phenomena all the time. So parapsychology is desperately always trying to rush about and grab at all these different possible explanations that can apply. And as I've mentioned before, Ron, uh, you know, the experience of seeing ghosts, when we say the experience of seeing ghosts, it seems like a simple thing. One person sees an apparition of a dead person. Um, that's not necessarily as straightforward as it may sound. There could be a hundred different things going on in the experiences of ghosts and why they actually come about. The ultimate question parapsychology always has to ask is, why has it happened to this in a particular individual? And that question will always lead to completely different answers. Right, right. And sometimes we have situations where there are multiple witnesses of the same event, and you have yeah. completely different questions you have to ask, or you have to ask questions about each individual. Um, I, I want to just uh, address your the point. The Lyle Watson book is a great book, actually, for people to read. And uh, in my experience over the years, it's really interesting to run into situations where you find these really, I guess you could call them non-paranormal explanations. They're unusual, esoteric sometimes. Um, it's easy to see why people thought that something paranormal was happening in the house because they weren't they didn't know enough about these things but uh, what i also find sometimes is that people uh, are so quick to judge someone who claims to have to, to describe a paranormal experience to say you're crazy as opposed to asking those questions could it be something else and could you just be mistaken not crazy and that's the thing that we also have to ask we don't approach these things necessarily as the people are necessarily crazy uh, or that they're having a paranormal experience but here's an experience that needs to be explained and we have to look at it from all angles Absolutely. I brought up an excellent case of that recently, which I still love, and I think it was a big learning curve for a lot of parapsychology, and that was the uh, a book called The Story of Ruth by Morton Schatzman. And originally when this uh, girl, Ruth, in the story was seeing apparitions, she was taken to a psychiatrist, and everyone presumed that she was schizophrenic. And Morton Schatzman said, no, let's counsel her, uh, counsel her as though she has actually been witness to apparitions and ghosts. Let's just assume this is genuinely paranormal and she can interrupt them. And, you know, loads of um, excellent findings and revelations actually uh, came out of that study just by counselling her and trying to counsel her about these ghostly experiences instead of assuming that she was crazy. Um, yep. And, you know, it's a very unusual case. Yeah, Montague Allman, who was a psychiatrist, actually told me... Um that he worked in several psychiatric facilities, and every once in a while he'd find a patient who 
claimed to be hearing voices in his or her head. And there was enough there that, you know, they were either overhearing conversations or they were actually maybe picking things up telepathically. But he treated them um, as if they were being, they had a psychic opening. So he actually worked with them instead of giving medication, not that they were schizophrenic, but that they just needed some sort of visualization or some way <clears throat> to shut themselves down psychically. And he said, I can't prove they were psychic or not, but it worked. That, that technique actually worked, and it was not a drug-related technique. But but is going back to kind of what Cal said. I mean, we can like the you said that they could explain some of the reactions because of uh, what was it? They produced high static electricity. The person was that Cal? What you said? Yeah, yeah. That the bodies contained sometimes ten times the amount of normal static electricity that okay. we'd have in our Going on that, but but could that be a result? of a paranormal experience, though. So, for instance, if someone had a mediumistic uh, ability, and because they had the disability, and they used it, they produced higher amounts of static electricity. You mean like a side effect of, of being psychic in a certain way? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it could be, but it, it, this is a chicken or the egg situation in that case. Exactly. That's, yeah. I mean, we don't and, know all, all you, about you, this. It, it's so hard to dismiss I mean, it's so easy to dismiss yeah. things. You'd also, but, have to, you'd also have to look at whether or not they had other kinds of psychic experiences. The only things that are going on is that when they walk by things, uh, electrical things, things change. Or then it, I would have to say that there's no evidence of them being psychic at all. Mm -hmm. That it's a bio purely biological thing. Um, and, and we have to kind of, you know, but you end up with mixed situations. I've had cases where, you know, there was, in fact, a prosaic explanation for a lot of what was going on, but there was a couple, there were a couple things that just didn't fit into that, any of that and seemed to be more in the realm of a true psychic experience. You just have to kind of separate not just the overall case, but every individual thing. And everything that they report, too, has to be looked at separately because the average person, when they have an experience, like a ghostly encounter, they're freaked out, and they're going to assume suddenly that, every little sound and light flicker and everything else is part of the same situation and you have to kind of tease it all apart and uh, find different explanations for things hmm. I, 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 go ahead Kel. oh no, no. I, was, I was just agreeing there uh, one question i've been really wanting to ask you though um lloyd is uh, i've gone through some of your history and you studied at um, jeff kennedy university is that right john f kennedy university right jfk university yeah it, 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 would that be, was that the time that you first, uh, I'm really a fan of Scott Roggo's work, as you know, because I've been working mm -hmm. on a lot of his research. Was that where you first um, met Roggo and um, learned from him there? Or Yeah, actually, Scott, yeah, Scott was uh, an instructor, and he came up from L.A. a number of times uh, when I was a graduate student between 79 and 81. Uh, and he came up a few times after that, too. And, uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he, taught, he taught, you know, gave guest lectures and taught a couple classes as well. Oh, brilliant. Was yeah, that mean, um, a special course that was designed at um, JF Kennedy University in parapsychology at the time then? Yeah, it was a master's program that had started, I think, in 77, 1977. John Palmer was the chair of the, of, uh, he was actually was partially funded by the Parapsychology Foundation, which you're familiar with. Yeah. And um, John was the chair and designed the program. The master's program it was a very intense two-year program. Um, you know, really a lot of courses, a lot of... Uh, <laughs> A lot of everything from research to investigation, but a lot of side courses in, in various sciences as well, and psychology, because we really needed that kind of grounding in alternate sciences, too. So um, we, we actually were trying to start something similar at Atlantic University, an online program um, 
with Nancy Zingroni and Carlos Alvarado, but uh, unfortunately um, the accrediting body has decided that they don't want to consider parapsychology because there's no one else in the United States offering it, uh, and it's too controversial. Lloyd, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought because we have to take a break right now. So anyways, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Cal Cooper and Ron Kolick, and our very special guest has been Lloyd Otterbrack, our back, say that fast, quite. <laughs> and we'll be right back at the following messages on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Miller X family. Take 6,427. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolek, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so Ann, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. International with parapsychologist Cal Cooper, Ron Kolick, and our very, very special guest is parapsychologist Lloyd Arbeck, uh, here on TojiNet, Parax, Ghost Channel, and beyond. So, anyway, there you go. Uh, Lloyd, do you want to give out your uh, websites another time, if you can? Sure. My um, main website is mindreader.com. And my other website for chocolate-related things is www.hauntedbychocolate.com. That's the one I'm interested in. Haunted by chocolate. Well, I am haunted by chocolate. So, <laughs> so anyways, um, I, I've also got to bring up one more thing with you, and that, of course, is the Moss Beach Distillery. Yeah. And I understand you have investigated this for quite a while. 20 years now, a little over 20 years. Right. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you're bringing it up because of the ghost hunter controversy. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> so um, the Moss Beach Distillery is a great place. It's it's got. I mean, we we had talked to witnesses who um, 
had witnessed things as far back as the 1930s. I mean, most of those witnesses are unfortunately no longer with us. But um, it was uh, an interesting place that that has had an apparitional setting, a specific apparitional setting, since the very, very early 1930s, and we assume since the death of the woman who's involved. Um, physical activity as well, uh, including, interestingly enough, when I've done several TV shows and I've done a whole bunch there over the years, um, mm-hmm. we had physical activity happening. Usually uh, when the crew was in one area doing an interview, things would actually happen just right off camera for them to see, but they, you know, it won't for everybody. It was kind of a fun thing for us because she's kind of playful. The only time we ever got anything on camera is actually the initial uh, piece with a Japanese TV crew. So. So, so let me ask you this. I mean, there was a little controversy over the Ghost yeah. Hunters show, but I, I really don't want to get into that. But basically, the distillery produces some of its own effects as part of because it's right. a restaurant, right? It's, it is a restaurant. It's a great restaurant, right. uh, high-end restaurant, in fact. And the owner, the current owner, John Barber, um, the, the, the special effects are interesting because uh, they're not really, they're not designed. To, they were not designed to fool anybody. They're actually mostly not working right now, thanks to the fans of Ghost Hunters. They broke several of them, in fact. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, essentially. When the restaurant had to be taken, literally taken apart in 1997, it had since it had been built in 1926, it had kind of slid a little bit or moved a little bit down the hill, so they had to anchor it properly for earthquake um, regulations. So they literally took it apart very carefully because it was a national historic. Um, Location, and they put it back together with some minor changes. And the changes included moving the ladies' room because they had to put it in a, uh, an elevator for the disabled, and they made a couple other minor changes. But for the most part, it looked exactly as, as it did. As it was being put together, um, put back together, several things happened. First of all, the construction crew were talking about all sorts of bizarre things that were happening, including seeing the apparition. And I got to interview a whole bunch of the folks working on it. And the second thing was the owner said, so when we put it back, you think the ghost will still be there? And I said, well, I believe she will be. She's here during construction. And he said, can you get her to do more stuff? <laughs> That's what he said. He said, can you get her to do more stuff? <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, I can ask, we can ask, but it's not like we can put her to a time clock. <laughs> <laughs> and pay her. So I said, why don't we do what the Queen Mary has done? <laughs> and the Queen Mary had for years, for several years, in their ghost tour, which they charge for, by the way, right. um, included various special effect recreations of things people had reported. So we decided to do it a little differently. We put in recreations of things that people had reported, and including things that I'd seen, like uh, the lamps over the bar moving. But we made a, bit, a couple of major distinctions. Um, uh, the bar has seven Tiffany lamps over it. Two end lamps have been moving for decades, have been reported moving for decades. So we rigged, uh, set up the center lamps. So mm-hmm. if they moved, because they've never been reported moving, if it was the ghost, we would not even count it. It would never be counted. And that way the, the bartender would know to say to people, yeah, that's an effect or that's a recreation, and that's pretty much what was going on. So none of these things were set up, to, A, to fool people, and B, to, to, for the purpose of certainly scamming anybody on TV. In fact, we did a TV show, um, was an episode of Haunted History um, for History Channel, which mm-hmm. included a piece on, this, on the special effects. This was back in the early two, like 2001, 2002. Yeah, I actually saw that show. It was it was pretty cool, actually. I liked it. I liked that show, actually. History, uh, haunted history. Yeah. And 
So, anyways, I, I guess uh, someone was asking about it in the, in the uh, chat room, but uh, basically the ghost hunters went on the show and said they found some of these events, and they basically... Uh, well, they knew about put, it. They, yeah. they, as much as they protested, they actually knew about it. I talked to two of the producers, and yeah. um, I, I know the people who actually recommended the place to them, mm-hmm. and they also told the producers about the effects. So if Jason Grant didn't know about them, which I find, even though they told me they didn't, I find it hard to believe. A, they admit that they didn't do any research because the simple Google search would have found, you know, the first top, the top ten Google hits even that day because I ran a search the day the show was running. Um, mm-hmm. Nine out of the ten talk about the effects. Um, and then the second thing is that uh, it's like the producers are not telling them anything, which I think it would be more concerning to me than anything else. Right. So, anyways, so let that one. But you said an interesting thing. Now, being a parapsychologist, of course, you're extremely skeptical. Uh, I'm a, I guess you can call me a situational skeptic. I do believe in the phenomena. I do, I've had my own experiences, but every single, every single episode I look at or consider, I have to be skeptical about. Okay, that's good. Now, because you mentioned the female ghost, so you are telling us that there is a female ghost there. So how would, how would you come up with that? Okay, well, first of all, the witnesses over the decades have all seen the same woman uh, until the uh, – until was it 1991, um, people were seeing her with the same late 1920s, early 30s blue dress on. Uh, She was reported looking the same, same hairstyle and such. And interestingly enough, the first uh, exploration I did of the place was with a Japanese TV crew and a Japanese, well-known Japanese medium who had a conversation with the ghost and gave her fashion advice. And several months later, (laughs) to my surprise, (laughs) Uh, To my surprise, people were asking if there was a new ghost there because they were seeing this woman with a black cocktail dress on. (laughs) And uh, we were getting the same facial descriptions. Um, I brought in multiple psychics and mediums over the years. Every single one not only picked up information that was not reported, but also added to the story. We were able to actually add more details, uh, including a name that we finally found connected to the woman um, after enough genealogy pieces have gotten updated on the web. So... It's been kind of an additive piece as well. And then, of course, I, I haven't seen her myself, but I've certainly had my own experiences with things there. So is this proof that the place is haunted? Evidence? I wouldn't say proof. Uh, nobody, likes, probably, nobody, li- nobody likes to use that word proof. In, in, well, in, you know, in science, I, I think we could probably prove it in a court of law. Let's put it that way. We could prove it in a court of law. Could we prove it to science? Probably not. But then, you know, there's no proof of, there's no, there's evidence of a lot of cosmological and astronomical phenomena, but there's no proof. <laughs> and you're agreeing with this, right, Kel? Uh, yeah, uh, I was just debating the same thing today, only with um, consciousness and just saying, well, you know, um, this kind of, when we look at other people, you can account for your own consciousness and that you're conscious and, you know, we're all looking at a computer screen right now or we're sat at a desk or on a chair, we're experiencing that ourselves. But I can't account for um, you two and your consciousness and right. your conscious experience. That's your experience. There's only, for me, evidence to suggest that you're conscious. So I certainly can't prove it, and there's no proof that you are conscious. Right. Um, that kind of applies the same with paranormal phenomena as well. There's When there's a haunted location, a load of people go there that have never met each other and probably never been to that location, all come away reporting the same type of phenomena, then there starts to become evidence to suggest that it is haunted but it doesn't prove that it is haunted. It certainly pr- it does prove that something is something unusual is going on and is worthy of investigating. I would say that that, that is absolute proof. What that is is not proven. 
I mean, it, it's it's pretty much like uh, religion. Like we cannot prove there is a God, yet we there are many, many thousands and thousands of people who have believed in it and have experiences from it. Yet we'll probably never prove that if there was a God or not. Well, and and even in religion, you have quite a bit of um, dissension amongst the ranks of various religions as to what exactly is evidence for the existence of God or evidence of God's activity. So um, here we're dealing with, we actually have evidence. We have witness testimony. We, ha- we may not have the physical evidence photographic, because, but we don't for a lot of things that we consider real in this world. Um, so you can't, I mean, you can, you can sort of photograph air, but not really. <laughs> So there are a lot of things that we can't come up with physical evidence the way we think of physical evidence. So we have to come up with a different way of thinking, and that's what we're trying to do uh, when we're trying to figure out what's going on here. I mean, consciousness itself, the question Cal raised, I mean, is really important because there's a philosophical divide in science that's called, you know, between dualism and monism, between materialism and, um, and dualism that... Some people in science feel that consciousness is a trick. It's basically the brain. It's just the brain. It's, it's nothing more than the brain. Uh, we can account for every, every phenomenon of consciousness, every experience via neurological and other, uh, other means. It's all in the brain. And then there are some that believe that, uh, that see evidence of consciousness being going beyond the physical structure of the body, uh, including in quantum physics, So where you have an observer effect. So how you apply that? depends on how much you know about quantum physics. So in, in kind of reality, we will never prove the existence of ghosts. Well, I think we have to prove the existence of consciousness first. That's, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I, I think a lot of it's also down to kind of public acceptance as well, and also right. science's acceptance, because... You could get a, a group of scientists that do confirm kind of the, the reality of ghosts, but it doesn't mean to say other people are going to take it on board, but their calculations and research could be, you know, near enough perfect. And even then, it doesn't mean to say people are going to take that on, on board and accept it. So when we say in our times the reality of ghosts can going to be accepted, it could probably never be accepted just because, you know, everyone's different, everyone's individual, everyone's got their own beliefs, um, so if people don't want to believe in ghosts, if people don't want to accept them, it doesn't matter what kind of evidence you put in front of them, right. they're not going to take it on board. So there could never be any form of acceptance in, in one, well, way, there, one way of looking at it. There are things in the physical sciences that are proven, uh, both mathematically and otherwise, that people in the physical sciences don't accept. So yeah. you know, there are elements yeah. of, of quantum physics that have been well accepted, um, and they're not accepted by everybody. So is the paranormal more of a personal experience or a spiritual experience? Well, it's definitely a perceptual experience, which makes it personal. I mean, we all have a perception of the world around us. And when you have a psychic experience of any kind, you're involving your perceptions, you're involving your own information processing. Um, that makes it personal. I mean, the Every pit, we, we have nothing that's truly objective without the subjective. Everything that we do, everything every physical scientist and everybody does has a subjective element to it. And that, if, if that's just simply observing the, the situation or even deciding what the data is or interpreting the data, that's subjective. That's not a purely objective thing. We can say that the physical world exists objectively, but everything is filtered through our subjective perceptions of the physical world. So you can't really separate 
um, you know, say something is truly objective without including that subjective piece. It's all from our experience. We experience the world in, in different ways for different people. Right. And, and that kind of makes sense why, for instance, like a, a place like Eastern State Penitentiary where they get hundreds and hundreds of visitors, yet not everyone has a paranormal experience. Sure. You know, why just the few that do? I mean, uh, we can explain some of it away as, as, as perceptual. Uh, but you can, also, you can also explain some of it away as psychological. I mean, there right. are studies in psychology that show that people will not see data if they completely disagree with it. It doesn't fit their paradigm. That, okay, that makes exactly sense. I mean, it, 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 I know when I, it, you know, I, I never was really interested in parapsychology. Not para, I hate used. I'm sorry, I didn't mean used to be parapsychology because I am not a parapsychologist. Um, paranormal. I was really never interested in the paranormal all that much. And when I first started the Ghost Project because of a near-death experience, um, I, I kind of wanted to prove the existence of. Uh, under the world are, are spirits. And yet I soon realized that no matter what evidence I could produce, there would be certain people that would never believe it anyway. So right. I, I, I quickly dumped that. So, I mean, to me, it, it just seems that the paranormal experience is, is so much like a, a personal or a spiritual experience. It's really designed just for that particular person that experiences it really in I, I don't know. It's just it's a fascinating field. That's why I'm still doing it after all these years. <laughs> sure. Can you tell us more about? Um, oh, sorry, Ron. Do you, no, go ahead, Cal. Um, uh, could you tell us more about um, what you're doing at Atlantic University? Because you, you said that there was a master's course that was planned for parapsychology, but I understand you are still you are teaching parapsychology through the well, university. So could you yeah. tell us a bit about the course and the university itself? There, there is a course called Principles of Parapsychology that has uh, it's an online course. Um, Atlantic University was uh, started originally by Edgar Casey back in the 1930s, mm-hmm. and then it kind of um, was suspended for some time, then it was resurrected more or less a number of years ago. And uh, they mainly have been doing transpersonal psychology courses uh, and transpersonal psychology degrees. So the the one course that I teach, which is the Principles of Parapsychology, kind of an introductory course, was designed for the transpersonal students. And I I took it over from Doug Richards, who um, has moved on to other things, just mentoring the course. And I've been making little tweaks here and there to it. Um, We were hoping to start to actually do an actual master's, uh, you know, an MA program in parapsychology. But... Due to the, um, you know, I don't want to insult the the uh, accrediting agency, but let's just let's just say that that they refuse to consider uh, parapsychology being taught outside the United States. So they only saw that parapsychology wasn't taught at any other university as a degree program in the United States. They felt the field was too controversial and didn't want to touch it. And we didn't even get we didn't get as far as to present the proposal to them. We this was. This is a refusal to even see the proposal based on a petition that, that had been done. So now we've revamped. We're kind of going at this at a different angle. Um, we're building an interdisciplinary consciousness studies program, which will look at, at all facets of study of consciousness, including uh, what has traditionally been part of parapsychology, you know, looking at uh, psychic phenomena. Uh, not necessarily using that term parapsychology, but we're trying to incorporate all, all that we can in this particular program, and hopefully that'll go through because there are other universities that do teach consciousness studies in the United States. Yeah, fantastic. So, um, 
How many uh, universities currently are in the United States are actually starting to teach parapsychology? Because at the moment, I understand the UK is kind of beating you to it at the moment. Oh, totally, totally. I think there's probably yeah. you know a handful of universities that have a single course here and there for credit. And unfortunately, a lot of those courses, um, you know, if there's 20 universities, I think I can't recall the actual number, but there's something like, you know, out of the 5,000 universities, there might be between 20 and 50 individual parapsychology courses taught for credit at universities. But a good number of those are probably taught by skeptics. And uh, so they're not, I mean, they're, they're debunking courses, which apparently are easy to get going, but, you know, you can't actually ask the real questions in our field. Right. So and, and unfortunately, the accrediting body didn't care that the UK was doing what it's doing with parapsychology. <laughs> I, I find that interesting sometimes. I, I know Karen O'Keefe has, has done this a lot, and uh, his explanation of some paranormal activity seems more ludicrous than accepting that paranormal activity existed. Uh, do you find that happens in what you do? Is when, I, when I deal with skeptics, the, the debunkers, because I, I hate that I, I have to argue with a lot of the people who call themselves skeptics. They're not skeptics. They are disbelievers, they, and, and they take on faith that things don't exist. Right. Um, and so uh, I, I do see incredibly stupid uh, comments by some of them. I've had cases that turned out not to be paranormal at all. They had some of the more prosaic or other, you know, normal explanations, unusual, and the people were mistaken. They were not crazy. They clearly were not crazy. Even by their description and the way that they behaved, they were not crazy. But I, I would get referrals from, uh, or cases come to me, where people told me they talked to the skeptics or they tried to get some help that way or went to a university and they were told to come in for psych testing. Hmm. And uh, it's because there's an assumption that you must be crazy and hallucinating not that you might be mistaken or that which is certainly skeptical but that's not the way they're they're coming at things um the uh the touting of the million dollar challenge by so many critics and skeptics even to this day you know randy's challenge which is absurd because it and, you know they i i talk to people in the science sometimes we're scientists who say well how come nobody's taken the million dollar challenge that would prove something it's like no it would just simply if somebody won they'd win a million dollars how could a single experiment in any field prove the existence of something Exactly. You know, they're, they're just not coming at it at all. And on top of that, if you read the application, it states in the application that just because somebody wins a million dollars, the rent, you know, is not an admission that the paranormal exists. So Isn't even it also that the, there's kind of certain requirements as well of actually you have to go through an initial trial before you can actually then go on to the, the challenge, but they have to be done under very strict conditions that they put forward, which aren't necessarily conditions in which psychic abilities could operate. Exactly. If they're occurring naturally in the real-world real world environment, it doesn't right. necessarily mean they can then be taken and applied to the challenge and the scenarios that they put this psychic in. Well, and, and even if that was, if it was the case that, ran, that, that the final challenge was fair, which I, I would um, <laughs> say is probably not the case, um, there's going to be something in there that's not fair at some level. Even if it's just making somebody do the trial uh, so many times that they're totally exhausted. Um, yeah. The initial trial, which is done by people who, the, who are local to where you are when you're applying for this, those people are not necessarily trained in doing any sort of field study or science or experiment. And they, it's their determination that makes, it, makes you able to go on further. So there's an unfair element right up front, even if, it, if the end game was fair. Okay. Now, being from the West Coast, Lloyd, did you ever work with uh, Peter James? Um, only on a couple of uh, TV clips, TV things. Okay. Really haven't really worked with him. 
well, he's dead now, so well, you still might be able to. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyways, uh, one, one of the, the cases that always fascinated me, and I think it was uh, maybe on, unexplained or whatever, was about the Polaroids. Did you ever, you ever see that case? I actually went down to that house. You did? Yeah. Now, I have to tell you, this is, um, you know, <laughs> I have some mixed, some issues about this case. Kerry Gaynor, who's a colleague of mine, actually investigated that case for sightings and was convinced that the guys, that this was a fraudulent situation. Okay. Um, and when I was brought into it, was well after that. In fact, I, I actually um, helped, sightings had a magician, a, well, a really knowledgeable mentalist magician named Michael Weber, who I know fairly well. These days, um, Michael, um, on my recommendation, was used for sightings to, to kind of take a look at things and also came to the conclusion and kind of showed how this could be duplicated. So when I was down there, that's one of the cases, the situations I did for Peter James, and I don't believe it ever actually aired because of what happened. And what actually happened was I watched the guys really closely. And suddenly I'm being told that myself, the producer, and other people, because of negative energy, we have to leave the house. Oh, jeez. And then, so the producer and I stood outside a window, um, which turned out to be where the guy who was holding the Polaroid decides to sit down and fiddle with the Polaroid. And he's, like, taking it under the desk. And we're seeing him. We knock on the window, and he stopped. And they didn't get any pictures at all the entire time we were there. Um, they, there was a claim that they had no background in photography, and yet one of them worked for a film-developing company, and the other one had something to do with, with movies. So there were, there were these elements of their claim that just didn't wash, unfortunately. And as much as I've seen actual pictures, maybe not with lettering, but I've seen pictures that I do think were with Polaroid that were genu genuinely uh, unusual or anomalous, I couldn't, uh, you know, there's nothing I saw. And based on what Kerry Gaynor told me, there really was nothing there. Uh, now, there could have been a spirit there that, that Peter was in communication with, but I don't think he had anything to do with the, the Polaroids. Okay, that wouldn't make sense. Now, one thing uh, people do, a lot of people do not know is uh, you actually have a, another tool in your toolbox and that you are a mentalist, as I understand. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, we had a course um, in our graduate study program um, at JFK University, which was taught by a local magician uh, on psychic fraud, kind of like, you know, the tools of the, the trade, more or less. And I really got into magic at that point, um, enjoyed myself performing a little bit. I'd done a little stand-up comedy in college, so I really liked doing it. And uh, I really got involved in the magic community. Um, I was encouraged by the late Marcello Truzzi and a few other, and Chuck Onerton and some other folks in parapsychology, uh, Bob Morris in fact, also encouraged me to really, um, because I enjoy performing, to really get out there and perform, to, to not just be a guy, an armchair magician who just simply knew about this stuff, but actually somebody who, who performed in front of real audiences. And I did some, some mentalism in the 80s, but I mostly focused on magic, um, sleight of hand, and, and other kinds of magic. And then I moved into mentalism uh, around 1990 and have been heavily involved in the Psychic Entertainers Association since 97. I'm actually a past president of the uh, Psychic Entertainers Association, which is an international organization of some of the top mentalists around the world. So um, this is something that is of real interest to me. And, and it's helped me, the magic stuff has helped me in understanding how people misunderstand ordinary occurrences and class them as paranormal ones, because that's how people misinterpret things that they see that are magical. That magicians perform. So it's the same kind of psychology, and it's really helped a lot knowing this stuff. It, it's not helped, I can tell you. I haven't run into a lot of fraud um, other than a few psychics here and there, but uh, not, certainly not fraud in cases. Uh, but it's really helped a lot otherwise. Yeah, I know that uh, you really irritated Jeff Belanger. You still can't figure it out how you did it. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, some things are just fun to do to friends just because they know that they're never going to figure it out. <laughs> what was that trick? What did you do? I, I, I can't, honestly, I could not tell you which one it was. I, I think it, it, was, it, it was a card it, trick. It was a, yeah, it was a card. It was actually an ESP trick with cards where I, he just simply pulled a card and I was able to ostensibly read his reactions. That was yeah. amazing. He still yeah. can't figure it out. But you're not going to believe this, but we uh, just got the uh, doorbell, which means pizza's here, so it's time to wrap it up. <laughs> and uh, our very special guest today has been Lloyd Iraq. Uh, it's been great speaking with you. And, and I thank you for that update on the uh, Randy, uh, uh, yeah, Randy, the uh, Peter James uh, case, because that's always intrigued me about the writing on the Polaroids. Yeah. And and uh, I've always been fascinated. So you, you, you are kind of believing that it's not up and up. Yeah, I, that's that. That's the only conclusion I can reach because I hadn't seen any evidence to the contrary, and neither had Kerry Gaynor. Um, so uh, it, it just it just was very very difficult. I mean, the behavior of the folks it just really raised my raised a lot of questions in my head. Okay, uh, do you have anything coming up you want to mention? Well, um, I'll mention the last book that I had that came out, which was uh, The Ghost Detective's Guide to Haunted San Francisco, which was co-written with, with the late uh, Annette Martin. Um, I am also teaching, uh, consist- continually teaching courses, which are distance courses also, for HCH Institute, which is a place here in Northern California. But I teach distance courses, non-academic courses in parapsychology. In fact, I have a couple students in the U.K. Uh, at this point. Um, so uh, folks can always uh, just go to mindreader.com and get a link over to the Parapsychological Studies Program for that if they want some interesting information. I'm um, getting more involved in the Ryan Research Center's work. I've just been elected to the board of directors, so I'm not quite sure what that means yet. Thanks. Congratulations. Yay. Yeah, thank you. And I'm, work, I'm working on some stuff around uh, the Stargate project, um, getting some, which was the remote viewing project for the Army. I'm working with Ed May, who is the project director, and we're working on some stuff. When you said the Stargate project, you, it, 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 that's over and done with. That's dead, isn't it? No, it, it, it is. But, you know, um, there's a lot of data and a lot of stuff. Um, Ed's written a book. Uh, with a couple of other authors, including um, some Russian authors, uh, looking at both the U.S. and American uh, and the Russian remote viewing project. There was a Russian remote viewing project. Of course there was. And so uh, I'm getting involved in uh, helping with kind of revamping the book a little bit, as well as getting some of the material out on that project. And we're hoping to do some TV project around uh, the history of that program. Well, Lloyd, it's time to wrap it up. Uh, once again, we want to thank you so much uh, for be coming on the show, and it was great uh, speaking with you as usual. So uh, you have a great day, and have a, have a profitable and healthy New Year. Thanks, guys. Yeah, bye. Bye. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord. You're listening.